it's Wednesday the 16th of December and you join us for another socially distanced catch-up with Derek Munn, Director of Policy and Public Affairs at the RCSLT and guest starring Camille Gadhock, the CEO. I was lucky enough to speak with Camille about this time last year when we talked about what 2020 might bring us and also the new decade and I don't think any of us could really have imagined what 2020 might turn out like. So looking back, Camille, I wonder what strikes you most about the year in terms of speech and language therapy? So, Vicky, we started the year with a whole range of plans, like I'm sure many organisations and individuals did. That included supporting our members to implement professional guidance, seeing the fruition of our influence into government, celebrations for our 75th anniversary year, and the annual conference, which was due to be held in Belfast. But as you say, we didn't know what was coming around the corner. And whilst we know that things will always come up that are not planned, I don't think anybody expected what's happened this year. And it's been truly exceptional. But you've asked me what really stands out. I think there are a number of really positive things. So whilst it's been an incredibly challenging year, I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed is the level of interaction and engagement that we've had between RCSLT staff and RCSLT members. What's been really interesting is to see how we have worked together and learnt what matters most from our members, what communication channels our members have used. So, for example, at the outset of the pandemic, social media was a really big mechanism that we heard from members about some of their biggest fears around the pandemic, issues around PPE, a call for help, needing us to respond, to listen to their concerns and to to do what we could. So that really initiated a whole work stream that we weren't planning to have around guidance to support members with respect to PPE, reducing the risk of transmission, looking at clinical guidance around areas of work that we knew were high risk because of viral load, working with members to develop new guidance with respect to that, and obviously things like telehealth, using telehealth and digital platforms for members to support the care that they were providing. You know, all of those requirements needed us to work at pace. Engaging members through using virtual platforms like Zoom has become part of our normal day-to-day working and activity. Um, and that's been great because it's mean that meant that we've been able to engage and work with members right across the UK. And members been a- have been able to come in and out of meetings in a way, I think, which has created more flexibility and met their needs in terms of being able to obviously get on with their day job but also working with us to deliver some of these really important pieces of work. Using virtual platform like Zoom has also helped us to do really important things like provide a series of webinars on COVID-19 and that really is tribute to the to the leadership that we have within the profession and the ability for them to just engage on things uh, at very short notice. In the first webinar, I think we had over a thousand people who listened in, not only within the UK, but also internationally. So the reach was really, really high. And of course, we've had to think about how we use virtual platforms to run events that we had planned. So we always have an annual study day for students. And this year, it was only recently, in fact, we had a student study day and we had over 400 delegates. What was great was that we had more reach than we would have normally if we'd had a a face-to-face event. So I think there's been some constructive opportunity here for us to engage with our members as well as listening and responding. And going back to how we respond, uh, social media played a big 
role and a big part in how we engage with members as a result of the brutal killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, which really, I think, highlighted and supported the need to shift the way we work with members to help them to be actively anti-racist. The work we've done with members, again, by listening to what they're saying to us, by responding to the issues, we've started to build really positive relationships with the key partners, the key system leaders who can really help to make some of the changes that our members would like to see. So we, we don't control the NHS, but by working with government, we can see what the government can do to support our members who mostly do work in the NHS. We're not a union, but being able to work with the union to see what they are doing to help our members when they face racism in the workplace. We know that thoughts, values, ideas start very early. So what's happening within universities around value-based recruitment? And also, what are they doing to decolonise the curriculum? So all of these things that we've just started to have conversations about, as well as conversations with the regulator and other system leaders. We know we're just at the start of this journey, but looking at the incredible engagement we've had so far and the talent and the expertise and the leadership that we're seeing within the profession, I know that we're going to be able to do so much more, not just on some of the great challenges that COVID is bringing, but also on some of the opportunities that we have to highlight the value of the profession within each of the clinical areas in which we work and also in really tackling anti-racism. So I think these are really big areas that we have um, been working with the profession on. And whilst it's been an incredible roller coaster of a year, I have enjoyed every minute of meeting, talking to members, and most importantly, working in partnership with them on all these incredible areas of work that we've had to take forward at pace. Thank you, Kamini. That's um, certainly a lot of stuff to be, to be very proud of. Um, I wonder um, if I can ask the same question to you, Derek. What's, what struck you about this year um, being a very unusual year? Indeed, I was recently looking back at my um, bulletin columns that I wrote last December and January, and it's fair to say we didn't anticipate what was about to happen in 2020. Um, some of what I say will be to reinforce Kamini's messages, but the profession has stepped up magnificently. And I do mean the whole profession, acute of course, but community as well, NHS of course, but independent members as well. And there have been opportunities for greater visibility and awareness of the speech and language therapy role in mainstream media and in parts of the health and education system more than we would normally get that cut through. And that has happened because of the way the profession has responded. People tell us that sometimes the barriers have come down a wee bit. It's been easier to get things done, to try innovations, a bit less hurdles and bureaucracy in the way. But there are still challenges, still challenges to get included first time. We were delighted when Simon Stevens made a speech in the summer and referred to doctors, nurses and therapists. Believe me, that's a breakthrough. But then just recently, when a very welcome letter went out about not redeploying nurses and health visitors in children's services, it took us weeks to get confirmation that that would apply to allied health professionals too. So there's still, we, we need to be included first time every time. And that's the journey that we're on. Politically, of course, ministers and other politicians are focused on the pandemic. And so they should be. What was interesting was that some areas continue to progress legislation around prescribing, for example, while other areas like mental health have completely stalled. And, and I'll come back to some of those, perhaps. Um, 
Kamini spoke about how we've responded to the challenge of Black Lives Matter, and she rightly referred to active anti-racism. Um, and yes, for those of you who've listened to these before will know that the existing equality and diversity work that we were undertaking is now overlaid by that understanding of the need to be actively anti-racist, right through from the language and images, the way we present in careers material and in schools, through the student from placement and new graduate experience, and in day-to-day -day life as a health clinician, but also in the service provision we do to diverse communities. And so we heard the challenge of Black Lives Matter. This isn't a six-month wonder for us. We're signed up to the long haul. We know how long it's going to take, and we're going to be there. We're also working with international colleagues around that whole area. Thank you, Derek. So that's 2020. And I wonder, are there any current areas of work that you both want to highlight to members? Perhaps if we start with you, Kamini, please. So obviously we're continuing on the work on anti-racism and that will continue into, the, into next year too. In terms of, I guess, the real pressure point, it is back to the pandemic, I'm afraid. You know, we're not, there's no escaping it. We've been working very hard, as Derek mentioned, particularly to try and prevent redeployment of speech and language therapists, for example, from children's services into areas where they might not actually be using their clinical skills. Uh, we know from the first wave of the, of the pandemic um, and from evidence we have, particularly from England and Ofsted reports and other types of um, information, for example, our own survey of our members, that there was a particular impact on those service users, patients and population groups such as children who really suffered as a result of not having speech and language therapy input. So it's been really important that we support the, the voice of some of the most vulnerable in society, that they do get the help they need. So that's been a really big part of the last few weeks and will continue to be, I think, over the next few months. I think we have, we've been very pleased that last week, in fact, NHS England Chief Allied Health Professions Officer did push out a letter saying that um, children's AHPs should not be redeployed. So that was a very helpful uh, letter that went out. The other area is around capacity. As I mentioned, we, we know the pandemic has had a, a big impact in the first wave with services stopped and uh, also services now having been restarted. We've got huge backlogs with waiting lists and waiting times. We've also got patients who have long COVID who need rehabilitation. So we've been having regular meetings with members. We've just had monthly meetings with the COVID advisory group, and that includes members from the independent sector as well as members from across the UK. And we also have uh, meetings with members who work with children and young people so that we can really get to understand both what's happening with the, the services that are for patients who don't have COVID, as well as what's happening for those patients who have unfortunately had COVID and the rehabilitation needs they have. And what we're picking up are real concerns around workforce capacity, uh, issues around the fact that everything is not being very well planned. Uh, rehabilitation for long COVID is not being planned very well at all. And it's very hit and miss in terms of postcode, what people at members are calling a postcode lottery, both for rehab and also in fact about the, about the vaccine, which I'll come on to again in a minute. So I think there's some really big issues that we need to keep working with our members on. So I think that links very much to workforce and what are we doing to support 
short-term capacity. We've been really pushing for funding for support workers to help take some of the pressure out of the system and to stop some of the redeployment from happening. But also longer term, our members are talking to us at the moment about how we look at the patient journey and what workforce requirements are going to be as we move into uh, next year. And obviously, not just for COVID-19 patients, but for community rehab and for children and young people. We're having to think about all of the populations we serve. In terms of the vaccine, we've been told just in a meeting today that there is a postcode lottery around access to the vaccine, which I was quite surprised about. So I'm not quite sure what's going on, but I think this is another area that we're going to have to keep a very close watch on. I wonder, is there anything else you're particularly keen to share with members? So in terms of other areas of work, I just want to highlight the professional development team have got funding from Higher Education England to do a UK-wide piece of work, which is around developing competencies around dysphagia for the student cohort so that when they qualify, students have got a level of competency around dysphagia, which is becoming more and more essential and in line with what we see from the countries that we have a mutual recognition agreement with. The other key things from the communications team are obviously continuing to look at how we use virtual platforms to support CPD and working with our clinical excellence networks. And that's something that we're going to be talking to them about further in the new year. And also really welcome news of the uh, redevelopment of the website, which I hope members have looked at. So I think that's something that's really great that uh, we can report on in terms of positive developments. Thank you, Camille. That's that's really uh, interesting to hear about. I wonder... Derek, if there's anything that you'd like to add to that, please. Um, yes, so as, as the year comes to an end, some people I know will be listening to the first time. Some people will have heard other podcasts where we've talked about some of these issues. Um, you'll know, I hope, that Communication Access UK, the communication accessibility symbol, and the associated training and standards were launched last month. I'm delighted to say that in the first few weeks, over 700 individuals and organisations have signed up. And the first organisations have actually put all their staff through the training and got accredited. So we're delighted with how that's taking off. But please, please, please do promote it where you are. And also as an ask from us, hopefully you'll have seen that we are in the middle of a really big service user survey about experiences of speech and language therapy during and after um, pandemic. And it's going to be so vital for our influencing work going forward, but also that so that people with speech language communication and swallowing needs can have their voices heard and tell their stories. So please, please do encourage the filling in of that survey. Some other areas, we've been working for a long time around mental capacity and getting speech and language therapists added to the list of approved mental capacity professionals. We're not there yet. I think I would describe where we are as cautiously optimistic, but we haven't won until there's a government announcement potentially in the spring. So we're going to keep the pressure on until we're certain that we've won that lobbying battle. We are very pleased, though, that following work by our Northern Ireland team and other allied health colleagues, there's been a a raising of the status of the Chief Allied Health Professions Officer in Northern Ireland, so that AHP, in that part of the UK, clearly has a seat at the top table of the health system. That's very good news. And we've also continued to have a number of policy and guidance rollouts in both England and Wales, relating to children's early language, which we're very pleased about going forward. Wonderful. That's all very positive. Thank you, Derek. 
So as we look forward to 2021, what are the priorities that our members are beginning to raise, both for the profession and for those with speech, language and communication needs? And I might put that one to Kamini, please. Thank you, Vicky. And it's interesting as we look back and then look forward. So I've mentioned a few things that I know we will obviously be continuing to work on, one of which is the work on supporting our members to be actively anti-racist. So we have a number of work streams which will continue into the new year. Obviously, again, we'll be listening to members to see how whatever we do is actually in line with what they would expect and hope so that we're keeping an eye not just on what we are doing but also the impact it has to to learn from that. In terms of other areas of work I mentioned before around COVID-19 and the impact on those people who have unfortunately now got long COVID um, and how we can support our members. There's a number of issues that have come up One is around the type of clinical presentation that patients with long COVID have. So the effect of the virus is um, not something that we've seen before. So uh, trying to get our heads around, you know, the the needs of those patients, gathering the evidence base. So we're looking at what data needs to be collected and also looking at the research. What's the research requirements for this new cohort of patients? Um, And how do we support our members to have the right skills and knowledge. So we've looked a lot at the moment around the acute care side, you know, it's what happens in intensive care with COVID-19 and then what happens as patients are being discharged. But just this last week, we've been told by members that many patients who've been discharged home, there's an assumption that they are actually okay, but they're either coming back into hospital with worsening symptoms or because some of their needs are not clear until they're being challenged. So, for example, they may have higher level communication needs, which are not really being picked up early, but might come more to light when they're having to, for example, go back to work, particularly as we have more patients who are in the younger age group, so between 30 and 40. So that's really going to be an interesting area. The other thing that we picked up this week is the number of children who've got long COVID. And again, this is a, a whole new area of population, but also of concern. So we are working with our members to see how we can set up a network of speech therapists to really to make sure that we capture the, the needs of children and we raise those issues to government if government's not aware. So these are some of the big things that we need to start looking at. In terms of timescales, I'm not really sure where we're going to be. We know we have a vaccine, which is fantastic news and hopefully will help us to plan in a more coherent way, I guess, as we go forward. Uh, But as I said to members today, at the beginning of the pandemic, as I said, well, I've never lived through a pandemic before. I don't know all the answers, but let's work together. I'm sure together we can find out what we need to do. And it's the same now. I think we're in that same position as of we're not really sure of everything that is going to be needed by patients who have long COVID. But if we work together, we can work on both the best way of meeting their needs, but also making sure that their needs are identified. I think a big concern is, will people even know that they have communication needs? And that links to the conversation we had earlier about workforce and also well-being. Our members are absolutely exhausted, you know, as everybody is in the system. That's partly because the shortages in terms of the workforce both because there are new patients, as I said earlier, there's growing waiting lists, but also people who've been shielding or self-isolating or who themselves are ill. Um, So there there are a number of things that we need to take account of. 
And the final bit, um, I mentioned the impact on children and young people because of the pandemic. We are wanting to take a, a stand back to see what's happening and what we need to do at a UK wide level. That's for the profession. I wonder, sort of zooming out a bit, what are the government priorities across the UK that will impact on the profession and what we'll need to influence as a profession next year? And if I could put that to you, please, Derek. Government and and party politics too, actually. I'll mention four things very briefly. Firstly, the domestic violence legislation is making its way through Westminster. We've had a close interest and members have been incredibly helpful in supporting the evidence on the links between situations of abuse and language and communication, uh, both for victims and survivors and also for perpetrators. So we're hopeful of getting something into guidance and regulation around domestic violence. Secondly, the long delayed reform of mental health legislation for England and Wales. We strongly expect that to come forward in 2021 and we're ready to engage with that at every level. Thirdly, there'll be Scottish and Welsh national elections in May. We have our asks ready to go. We're particularly going to be pushing for an overarching piece of inclusive communication legislation in Scotland. And that takes a lot of political teeing up. And of course, no one can forget that Brexit is about to finally happen on the 1st of January. And while the immediate impacts on the speech and language therapy profession are not as great as for some other profession, impacts there will be, and obviously in our lives more generally. So we'll be on top of that too. I think if I could go to Kamini for final thoughts to sort of round up this interview, that would be fantastic. Thanks. Thanks, Vicky. So I just wanted to really say a very big thank you to all of the speech and language therapy profession. As Derek said, everyone, and we mean everyone, has worked really hard, has had to do all sorts of things to support their service users, to be really flexible, to deal with a huge amount of uncertainty, and um, also to deal with a, a lot of pressure, which they maybe never have done before in a way that's never had to be dealt with before. I'm very aware that everybody's really tired. That's probably an understatement. Um, I'm hoping that people get a break over the next few weeks. Uh, We are going to keep an eye out on what's happening. We know that things are ramping ramping up again in certain parts of the country. So um, it's really important that we are here for you if you need our help. I just want to say it's been an incredible privilege to work with all of you and I look forward to working together as we go forward. Thank you so much.